The Infernal Trap. The hours succeeded one another. Days passed. One morning, the wounded man regained a moment's consciousness. He raised his eyelids and looked around him. He was lying in a room larger than that in which he had been stabbed, a room sparsely furnished with thick curtains hanging before the windows from top to bottom. There was light enough, however, to enable him to see young Gabriel Dugerval seated on a chair beside him and watching him. Ah, it's you, youngster, he murmured. I congratulate you, my lad. You have a sure and pretty touch with the dagger. And he fell asleep again. That day and the following days, he woke up several times, and each time he saw the stripling's pale face, his thin lips, and his dark eyes with the hard look in them. You frighten me, he said. If you have sworn to do in for me, don't stand on ceremony, but cheer up for goodness sake. The thought of death has always struck me as the most humorous thing in the world, whereas with you, old chap, it simply becomes lugubrious. I prefer to go to sleep. Good night. Still, Gabriel, in obedience to Madame Dugreval's orders, continued to nurse him with the utmost care and attention. The patient was almost free from fever and was beginning to take beef tea and milk. He gained a little strength and jested, When will the convalescent be allowed his first drive? Is the bath chair there? Why, cheer up, stupid. You look like a weeping willow contemplating a crime. Come, just one little smile for Daddy. One day, on waking, he had a very unpleasant feeling of constraint. After a few efforts, he perceived that, during his sleep, his legs, chest, and arms had been fastened to the bedstead with thin wire strands that cut into his flesh at the least movements. Ah, he said to his keeper, this time it's the great performance. The chicken's going to be bled. Are you operating, Angel Gabriel? If so, see that your razor's nice and clean, old chap. The antiseptic treatment, if you please. But he was interrupted by the sound of a key grating in the lock. The door opposite opened, and Madame Dugreval appeared. She approached slowly, took a chair, and, producing a revolver from her pocket, cocked it and laid it on the table by the bedside. <laughs> said the prisoner. We might be at the ambigue. Fourth act, the traitor's doom, and the fair sex to do the deed. The hand of the graces, what an honor. Madame Dugreval, I rely on you not to disfigure me. Hold your tongue, Lupin. Ah, so you know. <laughs> By Jove, how clever we are. Hold your tongue, Lupin. There was a solemn note in her voice that impressed the captive and compelled him to silence. He watched his two jailers in turns. The bloated features and red complexion of Madame Dugreval formed a striking contrast with her nephew's refined face, but they both wore the same air of implacable resolve. The widow leaned forward and said, Are you prepared to answer my questions? Why not? Then listen to me. How did you know that Dugreval carried all his money in his pocket? Servants gossip. A young man-servant whom we had in our employ, was that it? Yes. And did you steal Dugerval's watch in order to give it back to him and inspire him with confidence? Yes. She suppressed the movement of fury. You fool! You fool! 
What? You rob my man, you drive him to kill himself, and instead of making tracks to the uttermost ends of the earth and hiding yourself, you go on playing Lupin in the heart of Paris. Did you forget that I swore on my dead husband's head to find his murderer? That's what staggers me, said Lupin. How did you come to suspect me? How? Why, you gave yourself away! I did. Of course. The fifty thousand francs. Well, what about it? A, a present? Yes, a present which you gave cabled instructions to have sent to me so as to make believe that you were in America on the day of the races. A present indeed. What humbug. The fact is, you didn't like to think of the poor fellow whom you had murdered. So you restored the money to the widow, publicly, of course, because you love playing to the gallery and ranting and posing like the mountebank that you are. That was all very nicely thought out. Only, my fine fellow, you ought not to have sent me the self-same notes that were stolen from Dugraval. Yes, you silly fool, the self-same notes and no others. We knew the numbers, Dugraval and I did. And you were stupid enough to send the bundle to me. Now do you understand your folly? Lupin began to laugh. <laughs> it was a pretty blunder, I confess. I'm not responsible. I gave different orders, but all the same, I can't blame anyone but myself. Ah, so you admit it. You signed your theft and you signed your ruin at the same time. There was nothing left to be done but to find you. Find you? No. Better than that. Sensible people don't find Lupin. They make him come to them. That was a masterly notion. It belongs to my young nephew, who loathes you as much as I do, if possible, and who knows you thoroughly through reading all the books that have been written about you. He knows your prying nature, your need to be always plotting, your mania for hunting in the dark and unraveling what others have failed to unravel. He also knows that sort of sham kindness of yours, the driveling sentimentality that makes you shed crocodile tears over the people you victimize, and he planned the whole farce. He invented the story of the two burglars, the second theft of 50,000 francs. Oh, I swear to you before heaven that the stab which I gave myself with my own hands never hurt me. And I swear to you before heaven that we spent a glorious time waiting for you, the boy and I, peeping out at your confederates who prowled under our windows, taking their bearings. And there was no mistake about it. You were bound to come. Seeing that you had restored the widow Dugraval's 50,000 francs, it was out of the question that you should allow the widow Dugraval to be robbed of her 50,000 francs. You were bound to come, attracted by the scent of mystery. You were bound to come, for swagger, out of vanity. And you came. The widow gave a strident laugh. Well played, wasn't it? <laughs> Of Lupin's the master of masters, inaccessible and invisible, caught in a trap by a woman and a boy. <laughs> Here he is, in flesh and bone. Here he is, with hands and feet tied, no more dangerous than a sparrow. Here he is. Here he is. <laughs> she shook with joy and began to pace the room, throwing sidelong glances at the bed like a wild beast that does not for a moment take its eyes from its victim. And never had Lupin beheld greater hatred and savagery in any human being. Enough of this prattle, she said. Suddenly restraining herself, she stalked back to him, and in quite a different tone, in a hollow voice, laying stress on every syllable, 
Thanks to the papers in your pocket, Lupin, I have made a good use of the last twelve days. I know all your affairs, all your schemes, all your assumed names, all the organization of your band, all the lodgings which you possess in Paris and elsewhere. I have even visited one of them, the most secret, the one where you hide your papers, your ledgers, and the whole story of your financial operations. The result of my investigations is very satisfactory. Here are four checks, taken from four checkbooks and corresponding with four accounts which you keep at four different banks under four different names. I have filled in each of them for ten thousand francs. A larger figure would have been too risky. And now, sign. By Jove, said Lupin sarcastically. This is blackmail, my worthy Madame du Graval. That takes your breath away. What? It takes my breath away, as you say. And you find an adversary who is a match for you. The adversary is far beyond me. So the trap, let us call it infernal, the infernal trap into which I have fallen, was laid not merely by a widow thirsting for revenge, but also by a first-rate businesswoman anxious to increase her capital. Just so. My congratulations. And while I think of it, used Mr. Dugreval perhaps to... You have hit it, Lupin. After all, why well, conceal the fact? It will relieve your conscience. Yes, Lupin, Dugreval used to work on the same lines as yourself. Oh, not on the same scale. We were modest people. A Louis here, a Louis there, a purse or two which we trained Gabriel to pick up at the races. And in this way, we had made our little pile, just enough to buy a small place in the country. I prefer it that way, said Lupin. That's all right. I'm only telling you so that you may know that I'm not a beginner and that you have nothing to hope for. A rescue? No. The room in which we are now communicates with my bedroom. It has a private outlet of which nobody knows. It was Dugreval's special apartment. He used to see his friends here. He kept his implements and tools here, his disguises, his telephone even, as you perceive. So there's no hope, you see. Your accomplices have given up looking for you here. I've sent them off on another track. Your goose is cooked. Do you begin to realize the position? Yes. Then sign the checks. And when I have signed them, shall I be free? I must cash them first. And after that? After that, on my soul, as I hope to be saved, you will be free. I don't trust you. Have you any choice? That's true. Hand me the checks. She unfastened Lupin's right hand, gave him a pen, and said, Don't forget that the four checks require four different signatures, and the handwriting has to be altered in each case. Never fear. He signed the checks. Gabriel, said the widow, it is ten o'clock. If I'm not back by twelve, it will mean that this scoundrel has played me one of his tricks. At twelve o'clock, blow out his brains. I am leaving you the revolver with which your uncle shot himself. There are five bullets left out of the six. That will be ample. She left the room, humming a tune as she went. Lupin mumbled, I wouldn't give two pence for my life. He shut his eyes for an instant and then suddenly said to Gabriel, How much? And when the other did not appear to understand, he grew irritated. I mean what I say, how much? Answer me, can't you? We drive the same trade, you and I. I steal, thou stealest, we steal. So we ought to come to terms. That's what we're here for. Well, is it a bargain? Shall we clear out together? I will give you a post in my gang, an easy, well-paid post. How much do you want for yourself? Ten thousand? Twenty thousand? Fix your own price. Don't be shy. There's plenty to be had for the asking. 
An angry shiver passed through his frame as he saw the impassive face of his keeper. Oh, the beggar won't even answer. Why, you can't have been so fond of old Dugraval as all that. Listen to me, if you consent to release me... But he interrupted himself. The young man's eyes wore the cruel expression which he knew so well. What was the use of trying to move him? Hang it all, he snarled. I'm not going to croak here like a dog. Oh, if only I could... Stiffening all his muscles, he tried to burst his bonds, making a violent effort that drew a cry of pain from him, and he fell back upon his bed, exhausted. Well, well, he muttered after a moment. It's as the widow said. My goose is cooked. Nothing to be done. De profundis, Lupin. A quarter of an hour passed. Half an hour. Gabriel, moving closer to Lupin, saw that his eyes were shut and that his breath came evenly like that of a man sleeping. But Lupin said, Don't imagine that I'm asleep, youngster. No, people don't sleep at a moment like this. Only I am consoling myself. Needs must, eh? And then I am thinking of what is to come after. Exactly. I have a little theory of my own about that. You wouldn't think it to look at me, but I believe in metempsychosis and the transmigration of souls. It would take too long to explain. However, I say, boy, suppose we shook hands before we part. You won't? Then goodbye. Good health and long life to you, Gabriel. He closed his eyelids and did not stir again before Madame Dugraval's return. The widow entered with a lively step at a few minutes before twelve. She seemed greatly excited. I have the money, she said to her nephew. Run away. I'll join you in the motor down below. But I don't want your help to finish him off. I can do that alone. Still, if you feel like seeing the sort of a face that a rogue can pull, pass me the weapon. Gabriel handed her the revolver, and the widow continued. Have you burnt our papers? Yes. Then to work. And as soon as he's done for, be off. The shots may bring the neighbors. They must find both the flats empty. She went up to the bed. Are you ready, Lupin? Ready's not the word. I'm burning with impatience. Have you any requests to make of me? None. Then, uh, one word, though. What is it? If I meet Dugraval in the next world, what message am I to give him from you? She shrugged her shoulders and put the barrel of the revolver to Lupin's temple. That's it he said, and be sure your hand doesn't shake, my dear lady. It won't hurt you, I swear. Are you ready? Add the word of command, eh? One, two, three. The widow pulled the trigger. A shot rang out. Is this death? said Lupin. That's funny. I should have thought it was something much more different from life. There was a second shot. Gabriel snatched the weapon from his aunt's hands and examined it. Ah, he exclaimed, the bullets have been removed. There are only the percussion caps left. His aunt and he stood motionless for a moment and confused. Impossible, she blurted out. Who could have done it? An inspector, the examining magistrate? She stopped and, in a low voice, Hark, I hear a noise. They listened, and the widow went into the hall. She returned, furious, exasperated by her failure and by the scare which she had received. There's nobody there. It must have been the neighbors going out. We have plenty of time. Ah, Lupin, you are beginning to make merry. 
The knife, Gabriel. It's in my room. Go and fetch it. Gabriel hurried away. The widow stamped with rage. I've sworn to do it. You've got to suffer, my fine fellow. I swore to Dugraval that I would do it, and I have repeated my oath every morning and every evening since... I have taken it on my knees, yes, on my knees, before heaven that listens to me. It's my duty and my right to avenge my dead husband. By the way, Lupin, you don't look quite as merry as you did. Lord, one would almost think you were afraid. He's afraid! He's afraid! I can see it in his eyes! Come along, Gabriel, my boy. Look at his eyes. Look at his lips. He's trembling. Give me the knife so that I may dig it into his heart while he's shivering. Oh, you coward. Quick, quick, Gabriel. The knife. 